The reading is in two parts, and the first part is on page 11 and goes on to page 12. It's Genesis chapter 10, and it's verses 8 and 9, and then over to verse 1 of chapter 11. So Genesis 10, verse 8. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we're looking at the events of the Tower of Babylon, or the Tower of Babel, as it's better known. And Babylon was one of the great cities of the ancient worlds, and its ruins lie not far from the present-day city of Baghdad in Iraq. Now imagine yourself as an Israelite in about the 13th century, 14th century uh, BC. And uh, the extent of your known world, as we saw last week, would have been probably from uh, basically Spain in the west to India in the east, the Black Sea and beyond in the north, and Ethiopia in the south. And because you'd have uh, been brought up in Egypt, you would have been aware of many different nationalities speaking different languages. And no doubt in your more reflective moments, you may have asked yourself, you may have even asked Moses if you had close enough access to him, where have all the nations of the world come from? How come there are so many different languages? Why so many nations and why so many languages? And the answer that Moses would have given uh, are in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. Genesis 10 explains how the descendants of Noah spread throughout the known world. And Genesis 11 we discover that once 
there was one language, but due to the rebelliousness of man and the judgment of God, there were now different ones throughout the known world. And just as Genesis 10 says nothing about mongoloid or negroid, so Genesis 11 says nothing about Chinese or Swahili. The lesson is clear, isn't it? When man is united with God, then he is united with himself. When man is separated from God, then he's separated from others. When there is a barrier with God, there are barriers formed with other human beings. Think about it. If, for example, your husband falls out with his boss at work, and if that is left unresolved, barriers are created. But it doesn't just affect them. If, for example, you happen to be in your boss's wife's social network yourself, you too will feel awkward. Barriers will be set up and they're spread. Now, what greater barrier is there than the barrier of language? Dr. Bernard Ram, in an excellent book, A Christian View of Science and Scripture, says, no other desire, device known to anthropologists could break the unity of a group like a confusion of languages. That's so very true, isn't it? You meet someone who can't speak English and you can't speak their language and you have no other second language in common. And what happens? You know, after a few abortive attempts at sign language, you know, and gesticulations, and you give up, don't you? With a smile and a shrug, you're defeated. The language barrier has beaten you. You can't communicate. There's no getting through to each other. Sometimes it can be very amusing. I can remember in my teens meeting an American lad and mentioning that I was at a grammar school. Now, I thought this would actually you know, sound impressive until I discovered that in America, grammar schools are for five to seven-year-olds, <laughs> and he must have thought I was a very slow learner. Um, a bit later on, when uh, conversation topics change, I can think of another occasion when I was uh, um, in my late teens, and uh, I was talking to an American guy about a girl he described as foxy. Now, I didn't think she was particularly sly or devious, but as we talked on for another five minutes, it then dawned on me that, of course, for Americans, foxy doesn't mean sly, it means sexy. Well, the lessons of the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages is simply this, that if we're alienated from God, we become alienated from each other. And languages illustrate the barrier between people better than anything. If the vertical is wrong, then the horizontal will be wrong. Now, is that very likely? Is that historically feasible? Well, why not? Genesis 11 is not claiming that 
all the languages of the world go back to one language, but that all the languages of the writer's known world do. And that's, in fact, the case. We're familiar, aren't we, that um, uh, Italian, French, Spanish are all very similar. They go back to Latin, for example. Well, apparently Latin and Greek, the languages of the Mediterranean basin, they go back to what's uh, something uh, called um, Indo-European language. And what lies at the base of that is a language called Sanskrit, from which the languages of the then known world are derived. It is all quite feasible. So with that assurance, let's have a look at the passage in a little more detail. Now, Babylon is founded, Genesis 10, 8 and 9, by Nimrod. He was actually a military despot who had total disregard for God. Instead, he set out to build his own empire and to rule the world. Babylon was his capital, and he built it of clay bricks held together by tar. Now, that may well seem strange to us, but it was the recognized construction technique of about 5,000 years ago in that part of the world. So nothing unusual to him or them. Now, there was nothing wrong with building a great city with a tower. What was wrong was the motivation behind it. You see, in his rebellion against God, Nimrod and the others were really trying to... uh, crave for something that they weren't made for. They desired independence. They wanted to live life without, in any way, needing God. What's more, the further they got from God, the more isolated they became from each other. And so desperate were they for community, for that sense of belonging, they actually allowed themselves to be united by a military dictator, Nimrod. That shouldn't surprise us. We've seen it, haven't we, throughout history. When people disregard God and society collapses, they'll be very grateful, initially at least, for any dictator to give them a sense of order a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, even a sense of superiority. But it's a huge price to pay. So anyway, here they got together and they built this 30-foot tower and um, it expressed that um, that defiant independence to reach the heavens without the help of God And it was a desperate attempt at community when, in fact, they were all failed, selfish individualists. And in biblical history, Babylon becomes synonymous with defiant rebellion against God, just as Sodom and Gomorrah became synonymous with sexual immorality. The people also, verse 4, wanted to make a name for themselves. But only God ultimately is worthy of praise. There's no glory independent of God. All our abilities, 
are derived from his ability. All depend upon his creating us and preserving us. It's good to use our abilities to the full. And in fact, it's a duty to do so, according to the Genesis mandate of uh, manage and multiply. But we can ultimately take no credit for having abilities. We owe our existence and whatever talent package we have ultimately to God who's given it to us. And it is he that, he gets, that gets the glory for whatever we do. All human beings need to be valued. All need to have self-esteem and self-worth. For the Christian, it primarily comes from knowing that you are valued by God, created in his image, redeemed by his Son, indwelt by his Spirit. The great theologian Karl Barth was asked what was his greatest discovery in life, and he was an exceptionally talented and able person. And he simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You could have asked one of our seven-year-olds, and they may well have said the same thing, maybe in slightly different words. Now, that's humility. That is recognizing God gets the glory and your significance derives from your relationship with him. But take that away, and man needs to derive his esteem from somewhere else. And so he looks to other men to gain glory in their eyes. And that's what they did. And what's God's response to all this? Flagrant assertion of independence, of trying to please themselves rather than him? Well, he turns to judgment upon them. They stop building the tower. He destroys their attempts at trying to gang up on him. He confuses their languages. He made them all speak different ones. Now, the lessons in the event for us are these. The first we've seen very clearly that barriers set up between us and God lead to barriers between us and other people. A simple lesson. The other lesson is really a tale of two cities. There is Nimrod's Babylon, the symbol of rebellion, and there is God's Jerusalem, the symbol of salvation. And we are meant to choose which of these two cities we want to live in. Babylon is associated with sin, the sin of pride, Nimrod wanting to rule the world instead of God, and the sin of independence that comes out so clearly in Isaiah 47, 8 to 11, where he's actually writing about a later day, Babylon. Let me read it to you. Now then, you lover of pleasure lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am. There is none besides me. I will never be a widow 
or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, there is none besides me. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. And it did. Babylon's awful reputation peaks when Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, when he set up an idol to worship in Babylon. And as a consequence of refusing to bow to that idol, the Jews Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were confined to the fiery furnace. From then on, Babylon becomes a euphemism for the godlessness of Rome. And by the book of Revelation, its godlessness had so reached the heavens that it was marked out for judgment. So the confusion of the languages as a judgment on Babylon in its early days is just a foretaste of the judgment to come on all who choose to live in that ungodly place. So that's one place to live in. The other city to live in is the city of Jerusalem. Events at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost reverse or begin to reverse what happened at Babylon in Genesis 11. At Babylon, the people were divided by languages. At Jerusalem, at Pentecost, what happened? What happened was that God started the church. Though it was Galileans speaking Aramaic, all the people of the known world, the 15 nations listed from which those on the day of Pentecost came, which corresponds much to uh, what those a century or more would have regarded as the world, that those people who were there were united. They all heard the same message, even though their languages that they came from were different. All the people dispersed at Babylon are united in what they hear in Jerusalem on that day. Pentecost was an act of reunification. Pentecost is a glimpse of heaven where we will all communicate with each other across whatever cultural, racial, national and linguistic barriers we may have experienced whilst on earth. And even now we can catch a glimpse of it. I can remember I was 19 having fellowship with Arab Christians, most of whom could not speak English and apart from an opening sentence, I could not speak Arabic. 
But what we did have in common was Jesus. Because they'd been founded, that little Christian community, by British policemen under the mandate in the 1940s, a lot of their songs, although in Arabic, actually had familiar tunes to me and what they did and their natural disposition and their acts of kindness enabled me to somehow have a sense with them of our oneness in Christ, even though language was a barrier. There was a rapport. There was a sense of unity. So that's what happens. When men assert their independence of God, they become divided. They put up barriers. But when men come back to God, when they express their dependence upon him, They are reunited with each other. The barriers are down. And so the question that a passage like this poses us this morning is this. Which city are we living in? Which city do we look forward to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Bible does paint out such kind of vivid and clear pictures of alternatives. And we see the root of godless independence and rebellion against you and the reputation that Babylon acquired and for all that it stood for in that kind of defiant independence of going through life without you. And we can see the folly of it. We have 5,000 years of history which uh, merely illustrates it. And we can also see the new Jerusalem. We can experience something of the foretaste of it now as you unite people from many different backgrounds to being one in Christ. And that for us is a foretaste of heaven. We pray that we might not only make the right choice as to which city we live in, but we might also cultivate the culture of that city now and be ready. Amen.